we're going to be looking at a new series for the next few weeks, and it's a small New Testament book that most likely uh, many of new many of you have already read, Book of Ruth. And the title of the series is From Cursed to Blessed. And we're going to see why uh, I've chosen that title. And uh, this particular book is often called the Cinderella of the Bible. And the reason why it's called that, it's because it's a message of uh, despair that then morphs into hope. Of poverty that then changes into wealth of someone who is insignificant, a nobody, and becomes a prominent person. That's why it's called the Cinderella of the Bible. And so I would encourage you to go through the book yourself, to read it, a few chapters, I think in all the hundred verses in the entire book. And after um, reading it a few times, you get a grasp of it, We're going to go through this book and enjoy the message of redemption that comes out so clearly in the book of Ruth. Um, So would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to be looking at the first chapter. We'll read from verse 1 to verse 7 of Ruth. Ruth 1 from verse 1 to verse 7. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to reside in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. And so they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. And the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the land of Moab because she had heard In the land of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people by giving them food. And so she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. We pray, O Lord, that you would indeed grant us this portion of your word so they could strengthen us and encourage us, and enlighten us. Because we need your word, Lord. Indeed, it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We thank you for this precious portion. 
and for this book that we're going to be studying together in the weeks to come. Cause us to draw near to you from the truths that we will glean from this book. And this we pray in the precious name of our Lord. Amen. So please be seated. So quickly, in the first seven verses of Ruth, we are introduced to the family of a man named Elimelech, who lived during the days of the judges. Now, if you remember the period of the judges, that followed the conquest of the land of Canaan. So Joshua um, led the people of the Lord who had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years to conquer Canaan. And after the death of Canaan, or rather of, of Joshua, in the land of Canaan, now called Israel, we have the judges. Because Israel was a theocracy. It was not yet a monarchy. That would come later on when King Saul would become the first king. Um, but before that time, it was simply a theocracy. So it was governed with the laws that God had given to them, and the priests served as those who would teach the people, and God expected the people to simply follow the laws, and it would be governed righteously. However, what would happen, of course, is that the people of God would um, defect from the law, they would abandon God, they would turn to idols, and God would pull back his blessings and his favor, and then they, people would cry out to God, and God would raise up individuals called judges. That's when the story takes place. It takes place during that period, in the period of the judges. And we have this man called Elimelech, who lived in Bethlehem. And he made a bad choice. As a result of his decision, he and his family paid a terrible price. That's what usually happens when the head of the home makes a bad choice. The family pays the price. But what exactly did Elimelech do? What was this evil thing that Elimelech did? We're told that he decided to leave the land of Israel, to leave his city or his town, at that time it was a town called Bethlehem, and with his family move to Moab. And Moab was located just across the Jordan River, east of the Promised Land, and it was inhabited by the Moabites. So who were the Moabites? Well, the Moabites were descendants of Moab, the son of Lot, that was a result of an incestuous relationship. Okay, so Lot had two sons, Moab and Ammon, both as a result of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. And that story is found in Genesis 19. You can read that on your own. And so we have Elimelech leaving Israel and making his way for Moab. Now, you may ask, why is this bad? What's, so what? He leaves one place and he goes to another. What is wrong with that? Well, for one, God had given the inheritance to the people of Israel. That land was given to them to guard and to take care of. They were never to believe the lie that the grass was greener on the other side. Well, we too have been given an inheritance and we are to do everything to guard our inheritance. In Timothy, we read these words that Paul said to Timothy. Timothy, 
protect or guard or keep what has been entrusted to you. The gospel has been entrusted to us. We are God's people. We've been given this amazing gift of being his children, redeemed by grace. And this is a treasure in vessels of clay. And we are to guard it. And so God's people in that day were called to guard the inheritance that was given to them. Never, ever were they to abandon the land. Only once they were called to abandon the land of Judah. And that was when Judah was besieged by Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar came against uh, the, the Judeans, people of Judah, and God told them to surrender themselves and go and live in Babylon as slaves for 70 years, and then God would bring them back. But that was a correction, right? That was something that needed to be done in the life of Israel and Judah in particular at that time. But otherwise, God's people were to carefully guard that which was given to them as an inheritance. So Elimelech really followed the example of Lot and not Abraham. Remember Lot and Abraham when they had this uh, squabble amongst their uh, staff, their servants? And Abraham said, look, it's not right that our men argue and there's going to be animosity between you and me. You choose where you want to live. And so Lot looks at the plains that lead to Sodom and he goes, I'll choose this. They're fertile, they're great for my livestock. And Abraham said, fine, choose that. I'll go the other way, which was nothing, really. It was just barren rock land. And uh, what we have here is Elimelech following the example of Lot. And we know how Lot's life ended, and the bad, that decision was a bad decision. The people of Moab, secondly, were an ungodly people. When we surround ourselves with an ungodly influence, we can easily abandon the ways of the Lord. Years earlier, in the days of, uh, of wilderness wandering, when Moses was still around, the Moabites, enticed by Balaam, were the ones responsible for the spiritual failure of God's people. We read in Numbers 25, from verse 1 to verse 3, while Israel remained in Shittim, the people began to commit infidelity with the daughters of Moab. So what, was, what does that mean? For they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate, bowed down to their gods. And so Israel became followers of Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry with Israel. So there was sexual immorality coupled with idolatry. That's what, how did they do it? Well, the, the, the Moabites, the Moabite women, enticed the men with uh, sexual advances so they would join up with them, but before they would engage in sexual activity, they would have to worship their God. And so, of course, there was a punishment that followed that spiritual decay, that spiritual fiasco. And so the people of Moab were responsible for this spiritual fiasco in uh, the days of Moses. And so God tells Moses these words in Deuteronomy 23. Now listen carefully. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. They can never be part of God's people. That's what God says. None of their descendants even to the 10th 
generation may ever enter the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet you with food and water on the way you came out of Egypt and, second reason, because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Baor from Pathor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Now, so what happened is that Balaam was hired um, to curse Israel, and because he couldn't succeed in cursing them, he gives them counsel, of course, to lure them through um, this sexual advances of the Moabite woman. So God says, you're not going to have them ever be part of God's people. And so no Moabite was part of God's people. And so they were behind this malevolent strategy against Israel. So since God has specifically said no Moabite was to be allowed into the covenant family of Israel, why in the world would a Limelech say, okay, let's go, let's pick up our bags and move to Moab? What a ridiculous decision. Foolish. Wouldn't it have been wiser for him to stay away? Well, the reason why Elimelech moved away from Israel into Moab is because it felt that that was a great career move. The grass was greener in Moab. Things are better in Moab. Elimelech did not fear God. Elimelech used God. And there are people today who use God and do not fear him, have no devotion to him, have no love for him. As long as things go good, as long as things go their way, they're with God. They'll follow. Otherwise, they will do foolish uh, decisions. In the Psalms, we read these words regarding Moab, who boasted greatly about its, its power and its wealth and everything it had. God says in Psalm 60, verse 8, Moab is my wash basin. Now, what does that mean? We don't all know what a wash basin is. It's, you know, this, my wife has one at home. I'm sure you do too. You know, just a very small container. These are plastic. In those days, they were made of clay. So God is saying, Moab is my wash basin. Well, a wash basin was used by slaves to wash the feet of, um, uh, of travelers who Dirt was caked on their feet, and so when you walked in someone's home, the slave, the lowest-ranking slave, would walk up to the guest, bend himself down, and use that wash basin to wash the dirty feet. So God is saying, that's what Moab is for me, a wash basin. In other words, all its boasting, all the power, and its lust for uh, power, and, and uh, its, its warlike character, and... It's a desire to, for, to commit idolatry and immorality. All of that, all that boasting was just vain and empty. And um, it's a, Moab was just a wicked nation. And Elimelech listened to that boasting, listened to their proud words, saw the success that they were experiencing, looked at what he had, which was basically very little, in Bethlehem, sees the success of the Moabites and is drawn to leave everything behind and go to Moab. What a foolish, foolish decision. So here we have first in verse 1, the despairing circumstances. Verse 1 says, it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. Now we understand why Elimelech did what he did. There was a twofold catastrophe 
in the land of Israel. First, famine. Now, famine is, I'm not sure, I've never been through a famine. I've heard of people who have gone through it. My mother spoke many times about the famine they experienced in Italy. Uh, This is during the war. And others have spoken to me about a famine. But it's far worse than we can imagine. We're afraid of a recession that some say it's here, others say it's on its way, whatever. But a recession can't even come close to a famine. And so a famine is a time when food is scarce and people die because of it. It spells death. This famine was in the days, like I said, of the judges. Now, Israel should have never, ever experienced a famine. God had promised that their basket would always be full. In other words, it was an expression, right? You're always going to have bread. You're always going to have wheat. Your fields are always going to produce. Your, vine- your vineyards will always have grapes. There will always be fruit in your trees. There will always be a land of milk and honey. But there's famine in Israel. Elimelech thought, well, since there's no bread in Bethlehem, by the way, Bethlehem means house of bread, I'll just pick up and go. I'm going to go somewhere where there is bread. And the Moabites are really successful. Everything is going well in Moab. I'm going to go there. Was Elimelech justified in moving away? Did it make sense? Well, humanly speaking, it did make sense. Because when you measure things with common sense and with, the, with your sight instead of by faith, sure, it makes sense. But when you look at things through the eyes of faith, it made no sense. Because in the eyes of faith, you're trusting God. And when God chastises you, it's not the right time to run away and to move in every direction. It's time to humble ourselves and accept the chastisement. And that's what Elimelech should have done. He should have humbled himself under divine chastisement and accepted whatever God had in store for his people because that would mean that afterwards God would restore them. And not only was there famine in the land, but there was also faithlessness in the land. So verse 1 tells us, as we read, there was a period of judges. And why were judges raised up? Well, God would raise up these men, and in one instance a woman, Deborah, judges, to deliver God's people. Sometimes they would deliver them through prophecy, Sometimes they would deliver them because they were warriors like Samson and others. So you have these judges that God would deliver them because the people were in bondage. They were in a mess. They, were, uh, they had apostatized and completely walked away from God. And so God had to raise up judges. And if you read the book of Judges, this is the refrain that you'll read twice. It's found in the last chapter of the book of Judges, but also... During the actual book, you will come across it. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Notice that. There was no king. It wasn't a monarchy. Instead of submitting to God and living as a theocracy, as a country governed by the laws of God, they did their own thing. So it was under these dire circumstances that Elimelech probably discouraged he and his wife, Naomi, and said, look, forget it. We're not staying here anymore. There's no bread in Bethlehem. There are no blessings. There is no land of milk and honey. Everything is going wrong for us. Let's just pick up and go. 
And so Naomi takes her family, her two sons, and moves with her husband to Moab. That was the despairing circumstances that led to the dreadful choices. Look at verse 2. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to reside in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. So as we can clearly see in this verse, Elimelech did not trust the Lord. Did not want to humble himself under the hand of chastisement. Just took matters into his own hands. And these are the three mistakes he made. First, he chose to leave his inheritance. As I said earlier, he left Bethlehem, the house of bread. He left Judah, which means praise. Because in Judah at that time, there was no praise. There was only complaints and whining. Why is God allowing this? Instead of considering their sins and repenting, because when there's no praise and when there's no bread, we should be repenting. But instead, there was whining and complaint. And uh, so he made the decision. He chose to leave his inheritance. What should he have done? He should have humbled himself and believed that God, after he rebukes and chastises, he also restores. Look what Lamentations 3, verse 31 says. Let him give his cheek to the one who is going to strike him. Let him be filled with shame, for the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion. In proportion to his abundant mercy. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of mankind. Notice how he has compassion. Not in proportion to the grief. So when God brings grief into our lives, it's always in small portion. But his compassion is in abundance. He does not bless in proportion to the grief or to the chastisement. But he multiplies his, his compassion and his grace. That's what Elimelech should have remembered before leaving his inheritance. He chose to live among a wicked people. Elimelech left Israel to go and live in Moab. This was paramount to treason, leaving the people of God to go live among a godless and wicked people to take the forbidden path to Moab. To leave one in, one's inheritance as Elimelech did was paramount to treason. He should have remembered that the house of God was there. The sacrifices were there. The priesthoods were there. The word of God was there. He should have suffered with the people of God and humbled himself, but he chose to leave. And then fast, lastly, he chose to love the world. This family went to Moab and there they stayed. Not only did Elimelech and his family go into Moab, Moab got into them as well. We don't know how far they went into the Moabite way of living. We don't know how far they went, but they were far from God's people and far from the house of God, far from the sacrifices, far from the word of God, far from the feasts that were celebrated yearly in Israel, far from all that, and exposed to the ungodly influence of Moab. They probably went there for a few weeks, a few months, we don't know. But the weeks turned to months, the months turned to years. Ten years passed. Ten years staying in Moab. God's word has a warning for us 
if we are attracted to Moab. In other words, if we're attracted to power, if we're attracted to entertainment, if we're attracted to, to riches, all this kind, of, uh, uh, this kind of thinking that is Moabite in nature. God's word says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so we need to be guarding our inheritance and even in times of suffering, humble ourselves instead of entering into a state of mind that is negative. We start looking at our lives and saying, we've got to make decisions We've got to take matters into our own hands, as Elimelech did, and making dreadful choices. The dreadful choices led to deadly consequences. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. He died. And she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. And the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Imagine what a situation. Three graveyards. That's what she had. After all was said and done, three graveyards in Moab. That's all she, all that was most precious was now buried six feet deep in Moab. It's interesting that their names, Malon and Kilion, because um, before they died, it says Elimelech died, right? But you see, one, no one just wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going, and decides to leave um, God. It's something that's very slow, it's very subtle. It's a process that builds in time. But I want you to notice Malon and Kilion. Malon means sick and Kilion means pining, wasting away. So why were they called this way? Most likely because of the famine in the land, those lasting years. They probably weren't well fed. Probably the mother was, did not eat well. When they were born, they were both sickly and pining. Limelech, when he sees that, his son's in that situation, that's when he stops trusting in the Lord, maybe. We don't know. It was an awful test. And so he took matters into his own hands. And there was worldliness in the home. How do we know that? In spite of the fact that he knew better, Elimelech moved to Moab, and their sons married Moabite women. Now, it was clearly forbidden. Not only was a Moabite never to enter into the covenant family of God. They were supposed to stay out. But secondly, no one from the people of God was to marry a Moabite woman. They were not to have any relationships with them. Stay away from them. They're wicked. They're evil. They're godless. But what do they do? They married into that kind of culture. They married Moabite women. Now, why did they do this? Because there was compromise in the home. And once there's compromise in the home... The kids follow the example of the parents. So they just compromise as well. There was weeping in the home because eventually the two sons of Naomi 
they died too. And we don't know how they died, but they died rather young because their wives were still around, both Orpah and Ruth. And they died and left them widows. So imagine Naomi. She has two daughter-in-laws without her sons, uh, without her sons, and she has no husband. Three tombstones. That's all she had. She went in wealthy, and now she has nothing. But, interestingly enough, God intervenes. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the land of Moab because she had heard in the land of Moab, that is, while living there, that the Lord had visited his people by giving them food. And so she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now, imagine you are a widow. You are penniless. You are childless. You have nothing left. All you have are two women who are widows themselves. And in those days, if you're a widow, you are the poorest of the poor. And if you had no children, that was even a worst case scenario. At least a widow with a child can send out her son to in the, into the fields and get some food and bring something back. But what does a widow do? She has nothing. She has no one to count on. Penniless. And so that despair, death, defeat, that's what she had. But now we catch this glimpse of victory in her action. She changes direction. She makes a choice that her husband was unable to make. She chooses the best compared to what her husband had done. How thankful we should be when God brings a soul to make the right choice to, after a breaking point. When we see a turnaround, not maybe late, it may come very late, but it does come always in the child of God. A child of God can come to a point where he wanders away from the Lord, leaves God, turns his back to the Word, turns his back to the church, and then there's a breaking point, and God restores that person. So that's what God is doing here with Naomi. First, there's realization. We don't know how. Did someone come to visit her? Did someone come to tell her about the blessings that were coming back into Israel, right? That God was visiting his people. And what does that mean? There was bread. There was work. There was harvest. There was more than simply crying and weeping and death. There was no more any famine. God was visiting Israel. So we don't know how. She came to know of this, and she decides to go back to the land of praise, to Judah. When God rebukes us, is he, has he stopped blessing us? No. You know what would be worse? If he would not rebuke us. If he would not use the rod with us. Because it says in Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. If God lets us sin and there's no rebuke, and there's no chastisement, there's no correction, how terrible that would be. It is far worse to be abandoned by God than to be rebuked by God. Far worse than to be left doing our own thing, 
than to be corrected by him. So we need to thank him for the correction, thank him for the chastisement. Maybe she remembered that there was uh, the praises, the songs that were sung in the house of God. She remembered the people of God, the sacrifices. What it was, something jolted, and she goes, I'm going back. This was a long journey. It was a trek and a half for a woman of her age. And whatever the thoughts were that God planted in her heart, they were sufficient to move her to make the right but difficult decision. And then we see repentance. The Bible says, we read the verse, departed from the place where she was. Maybe she had a home by that time. She had some kind of a farm. We don't know what she had in Moab. But she says, I'm leaving it all behind. I'm going back to God's people. I'm going back to my inheritance. I'm going back to be with those who serve the Lord. And she's a picture of someone who repents of their love for the world and returns to the Lord with all his heart. I remember speaking to someone who for years had walked away from church and never opened the Bible, lived recklessly, went as far as taking drugs and womanizing, the whole thing. He just gave himself to sin of all kinds and cheating and and uh, just living a, a, a life of debauchery. But there came a point in his life where he broke. And I spoke to him after he broke. He came repentant. He was crying. And he said, I don't want to live like this anymore. He said, are you serious? Are you truly serious? Because if you're just, because you're in a little bit of pain, coming to God and saying, look, I don't want to have any more of this kind of life. He said, All you're doing is, I don't want the pain. But imagine everything would have been going well. Would you have continued in this life? No, he goes, I miss God. I miss God's people. I miss his word. I miss the songs. I miss the word. I miss everything. See, it was different. It wasn't just because he was suffering that he wanted the suffering to stop. He wanted what was now, and for a long time, missing in his life. He wanted that back. I said, you repent... You're going to have that and more because God will give you far more than what you have gone through throughout this time. And he repented. He fully repented. I remember this brother, he became faithful and zealous and he was restored into the fellowship. And I remember just rejoicing with him and the church rejoiced with him altogether. So here we have a Naomi that rises up and she is, this is a picture of repentance. She goes back to Israel. Conclusion, we can see scripture here tells us that Naomi left Judah with a husband and her two sons, all three dead. Ruth 1 verse 21 says that she was full when she left Judah, but going back, she is now empty-handed. In other words, the greener grass on the other side, the better life that you can get outside of faith. The freedom that they promise, the material success, the power and the glitz that they show to be their lifestyle and to be all wonderful, it's all rubbish. All of it is a lie. She left full, she comes back empty. That's what happens when we listen to the deceitful words of the enemy who tells us, that there's something better. That's what happened to Eve. Oh, there's something better. 
He doesn't want you to have what he has. Eat the forbidden fruit. There's something better. There's nothing better outside of God and his will. All that, he, that is good is found in him. In him are all our springs. And so thankfully, at the breaking point, she came and God restores her now with the will and the desire to return back home. So when God brings sorrow into the life of the child of God, when he brings pain and, and there is chastisement, we should humble ourselves and remember that godly sorrow, as it says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, that is according to the will of God produces repentance. That's what happened in the life of Naomi. There was repentance because there was godly sorrow. Elimelech is the picture of the person who believes the lies of Moab. Right? So we have the husband who believes the lies, and we have a Naomi that remembers the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. And even though there was chastisement, God was faithful. Here there is no faithfulness of God. When we are disobedient and doing our own thing, God is watching us from a distance. He doesn't completely lose sight of us, but we are living away from his favor. We don't listen to his voice. We have no desire to pray, no desire for fellowship, and no desire for the word. Godly sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. And that's the, what we have in Naomi. Naomi is now making her way back to the land of praise. The sorrow that is in the world instead produces death. That simply means that the pain that we find in the world, okay, the pain that there is in someone who's without God, right, that person is now more desperate than ever before. Why? Because that person doesn't know God, doesn't belong to God, has no desire for God, has no desire to seek God's face, doesn't believe there is a God. He feels that he and she can handle their situation. I was listening to um, um, Stephen Hawking's and how he was saying, we don't need God. There's no need for a God. Those who need God need to stand up for themselves, pick themselves up from their riches, and start acting on their own. We don't need God. How foolish. In him we live and move and have our being. There is no life without the sustenance of God. God holds all things by the power of his word. What does it mean we don't need God? Of course, every breath we take, every movement we make, everything about us depends on God. This whole universe and this little speck in the universe called earth is there because God makes it possible. Apart from him, there is no life. We don't need God. That's a foolish position to take. And people are arrogant in that way, go through pain, and that kind of pain, because of their rejection of God, only leads to death. And there's nothing there but death and darkness. But the sorrow that is godly, like the sorrow we see in Naomi, the sorrow and the pain that is in that woman leads to repentance. It brings change. It brings a person back to God. And that's the kind of sorrow we want in our lives. 
We don't want to say no to sorrow at all times. When we're off our track, off the path of godliness, when we're disobedient, we need sorrow. We want God to correct us. We want him to come with his rod and bring us back to the path of righteousness for his namesake. We don't want him to abandon us. And that's what we see in Naomi. God does not abandon her. God takes care of this woman even though she's forced to leave. And she believes in her husband. She makes that decision with him. But at the end she realizes, what a foolish decision. I'm going back. And maybe someone here is at that point. You are at the point where you're realizing, I've made foolish decisions. And I want to go back to the Lord. Be aware of this, that he will receive you with open arms because he loves his people. He loves those he has redeemed for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the gift of repentance, how it's depicted in the lives of so many characters in the Bible, and today we see it depicted in the life of Naomi. It is true that we can even, as believers, make wrong decisions. We can follow the, uh, the thinking, the philosophy of the world around us and believe that life is better outside of your will, that we can take matters into our own hands and we can neglect the inheritance we've received in Christ and think that our riches are of this world and that our success and Everything that the world has to offer is really what brings us happiness. Lord, forgive us when we have these thoughts, when we entertain them, and when we follow through with them. But thank you for drawing us back to yourself. Thank you for knowing how to reach us, how to bring us to a point of repentance so that the rod of, from your, in your hand and the sorrow that comes along with that rod and the chastisement that you bring into our lives eventually work to bring about the repentance that is so badly needed. Lord, we bless you for this. We thank you for your ways because though we cannot fully understand your love, we know that even in being chastised, we are loved. When we, we are rebuked, we are cared for because you are the God who never gives up on his people. Those whom you love, you love forever. And those whom you save, you save forever. And for this, we bless you and we praise you in the wonderful and glorious name of the Lord. Amen.